Thank you for listening to Faith Worship Center's weekly sermon. If you'd like more information about our church and ministry, please visit faithworship.org. How you guys doing this morning? That's good. That's good. Well, we are all packed up and ready for vacation. We leave right after the service today, so... That's going to be fun, and uh, we're going to see Lynn's dad, who's been having a lot of health issues lately, so we've been in a week with him just to watch him and make sure he's okay. So if you can pray for the family right now, it's, um, they could use your prayers, it's good. Anyway, aren't you glad, aren't you glad God's in a good mood? And don't you wish everybody was? One of these days... One of these days, you guys are going to actually remember that and say the second part of it after I say the first part. It'd be like the old thing in the 90s. God is good all the time. <laughs> oh, man. I want, I want you to just close your eyes for a minute if you could. Picture this with me. So crowd of people in a house and they're sitting around having a good meal together and they're eating and enjoying each other's company and telling stories of work and various other things that that we like to talk about when we're with friends. And all of a sudden a, a gal carrying a purse, some very, a lot of valuables in it. You know a lot of gals have those valuables in their purse. And she walks into the room in the midst of everybody talking and eating and having a good time. It wasn't a prayer service. It wasn't anything like that. She walks in. And she takes a very costly perfume and anoints the feet of Jesus. In an act of worship, when nobody else in the room was in that mode, she breaks this over the feet of Jesus and just anoints his feet. Suddenly the room is silent and whispers could be heard. Why is this woman wasting this expensive perfume? She could have sold this and given it to the poor. And others are saying, why would anyone do something like this to bring a religious ceremony into the midst of a fun activity? Could you picture yourself in a restaurant with some friends and suddenly someone who you'd only met one time but had a great impact in their life comes and anoints your feet with oil. Father, help us to understand your heart, to clearly see your ways, and to know that you are not interested in the externals, but you're interested 
in us and our hearts. Amen. Thank you. I think sometimes we, we read the Bible and we have read stories like that one that I just gave. We've read it so much that it holds no value. And I think sometimes we just need to get contemplative and really contemplate these important stories. Because Jesus said about this woman, what she has done will be spoken of to the end of time. And he placed a value on what she was doing and placed a value upon her reaction to a heart that got healed. And he pointed it out and said, this is more valuable than anything else in all the world. And I believe that's why we purposely take time here to worship. We don't have a set time schedule. We just basically tell the team, go until you're done. Because we just really want to honor the presence of the Lord. And we value that. It's not a waste of time. It's a fragrance of our worship. And it's not an external action or activity. It's the heart that he hears. Huh. Okay, I'm done. I feel like I just preached a great sermon right there. I was, I was seeing that during worship, and I just thought, oh, that's just really cool just to see that. I want to talk a, a little bit about abundant life and uh, spiritual ownership, and I want to talk about some things um, that maybe some of you have heard before, but we're going to go with this because it's such a powerful um, a powerful, insightful message, and I feel like a lot of times, a lot of times, it's good to remind it of the basic things that maybe, maybe, just maybe, someone's tried to cover up so that we forget them. John 10.10 says, a thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. Look at the person next to you and say, you're an abundant living person. Yeah. In the Greek, the word abundantly means an exceeding number or measure or rank. It actually means over and above more than is necessary, exceedingly, abundantly, supremely, something furthermore, much more than all, more plainly, superior, extraordinary, surpassing, surpassing uncommon, preeminent, superiority, advantage, more imminent, more remarkable, more excellent. I mean, that one word sounds like an entire portion of Scripture. But it's within that word that speaks something to to me, I want to uh, just focus on this just for a minute, and I want to talk about the thief. Because the thief comes to kill, to steal, and destroy. And I want to just speak a moment about this thief, because this thief is sneaky. 
And what this sneaky thief will do is give himself an appearance of having more power. Because you know a thief wants to do that. A thief wants to make you think that he's powerful enough to come in and steal all your goods. Fear and intimidation is the greatest weapon of a thief, which accelerates when he is found out. I want to tell you a story about something that happened to me many years ago. Someone said, why do you always talk about these stories that happened a long time ago? And it's like, I don't know, they impacted my life, and it's safe. None of you knew me back then anyway. So, <laughs> And um, when I was in the military, um, uh, to make a very long story short, there, there was someone who didn't like me, and uh, they didn't like me a lot. And it was for a, a series of events that had unfolded. And I remember being in the mess hall, which you call it a cafeteria. We used to call it the mess hall because that's where they served us mess. And I was in the mess hall, and I was at this place getting loading up on my tray, and suddenly I felt, I felt a presence from behind me. And within about five seconds, maybe five to six seconds, this person's voice came from behind me, and this is what he said. Nicolette, I'm going to kill you. And he meant it. Now, I don't know all that was happening in that actual event. I could actually sense the fear in me. I felt that before he ever came near me. It would have taken him about that long to get from the entrance of the cafe over to where I was. And I did not see him enter the mess hall. And when he got to me, when I heard... I mean, the hair almost rose up on my back. Easily the kind of guy that could have killed me. And I stood there. I stood there at that place. And fear tried to grip me. And it tried to grab me and put me under its control. And I had to do an internal fight. To be able to say inside of myself, he's not going to kill you. He's not going to kill you. He could kill you, but he's not going to kill you. <laughs> Thankfully, in a couple days, they shipped him out of that base. And I live to this day to tell the story. <laughs> See, the thing about a thief is that they're... they're um, ability to be sneaky and sneak in is how they function. It's, it's how they continue to do what they do. Um, we once lived in an apartment and um, a thief came in our, our house, our apartment at night. Um, apparently they had a chemical they sprayed into the apartments. They were hitting all the area. The police told us they have a chemical they spray in to put you in a deeper sleep. Uh, he came in, totally robbed us. We didn't even know we didn't even know he existed, didn't even know he was there. And um, we woke up to a phone call in the morning, and it was an officer. And I pick up the phone, half asleep, hadn't had my coffee yet, you know. And I hear this voice saying, does your wife have her driver's license? He identified himself, officer so-and-so. He said, does your wife have her driver's license? And I said, well, yes, she does have a driver's license. No, I mean, does she have it on her possession? I looked over at my wife in bed and said, no, I don't think so. She's in bed. And I'm still tired. I'm still half asleep. 
So he says, well, could you go downstairs and check to see if her purse is there? So I went downstairs and all the drawers were pulled out and things were, I obviously been gone through in the apartment. We were missing everything. She was missing her purse, her license and all that stuff. So they caught the guy and we got everything back that first time. And um, yeah, I mean, they took every, he took our savings book. He took everything. And um, of course, we didn't have much in savings, but <laughs> to us, it was a lot. <laughs> But a thief is going to sneak in. He's going to try to maneuver around things, to take what belongs to you, to take what you own. And that's part of his thing. And if he gets found out, then he's going to try to use intimidation and fear tactics to keep you suppressed, to make you feel like a victim, so that you can't respond towards him in a way that overpowers him. And Jesus is telling this story, which everybody knows about a thief, but he's telling this story about a thief because he wants people to understand that there is a thief that comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Now, in a spiritual sense, we look at that and we can easily say, well, that's the devil. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And we can do that in, the, in our natural minds. But in the reality of the scheme of things, of grace and the cross, Jesus came to defeat the works of the devil. So he triumphed over the gates of hell. So the devil is defeated. The devil is defeated. He does, see? It's like, that's how it works right there. He's defeated, but he, he still has an arsenal of lies. And he still tries to put us in fear, because that's what a thief will do. And what, I, what I've come to understand about over the years, I rededicated my life 40 years ago, what I've come to understand about a lot of believers is they actually focus so much on the devil a lot of times and what he's doing, how he's ripping them off. And, you know, you could hear people saying, well, it's been such a bad week. The enemy's really been attacking me this week and stuff like that. And it's like there's a glorification of the devil to such a point that somehow the devil became bigger than God. And it's like, I like what uh, Avanzini, John Avanzini says. He said that in the beginning, the devil started as a snake. In Revelation, he ends as a big dragon. Very interesting. Because the more you focus on him, the bigger he's going to get. Well, Jesus took the focus off. And he told us as believers to refocus, to have our eyes set on things above, not on things of this earth. To have our eyes set on him, on Jesus. He is the victor. That's where we invest our faith. I don't dare invest my faith in the enemy because he's a liar, he's a thief. And that's what he wants to do. He wants to rob the goods from us that we've been given for the kingdom. So the only thing that's really, that he's really got going for him is his convincing lies to us. And this is why in the New Testament, the Bible tells us to have our minds renewed by the washing and the renewing of the word. Because the word makes promises to the believer. No weapon formed against you can prosper. All those who rise against you shall fail. 
And there's these promises that we have as believers that guarantee our ownership, that guarantee the fact that we own what's been given to us. It's a guarantee. We own it. No one can steal. The thief cannot take what God has given you unless you freely give it to him. And who would do that? We own what we've been given. As owners, we are more powerful than the thief. If we know that we own the goods given to us. And this is the thing that's so crazy. We have these promises that say yes and amen. They are the yeses of God, not the noes of God. The yeses of God. We have these promises that are yes and amen. And we read them. We've gone over them throughout the years. We've, we've held on to these promises. And within a, a series of an events that, that can become a crisis or can become something that begins to unfold in a negative way towards us. And that series of events is when we become most vulnerable to believe the lies of the enemy. And yet it's in those series of events that we need to become the most active to keep the promises of God alive in our hearts and in our minds. And this is the, the trick of the thief, to, to lie at the right time, to tell the lie at the right time so that a, a believer falls into the trap and then surrenders the goods. I love the church. I really do. I love being a believer. I love being, I love the fact that we're all, look at the person next to you, you don't look like them. We all look different. We all act different. We all talk differently. I, with the exception of Bill over there, Bill, I, I saw him earlier, he, he looks somewhat like me, but not identical. Michael's wearing the same shirt. Yeah. But we're all different. We all have a different set of circumstances going on. We've all come from different backgrounds, different upbringings. We've had different things told us, different things instructed to us. You know, there have been, uh, we found out when we got into Sozo that there were sayings that we might have heard as a child that set something in us, and that something in us became a stronghold that actually worked against us instead of for us. Like if you ever heard your mom say, wait till your dad gets home. You know, you did something wrong. You hear your mom say, wait till your dad gets home. Well, that opens up a fear of daddy. And that carries over into a spiritual reality to where people will actually have a fear of God. Like the wrong kind of fear of God. Like a fear that says, I'm in trouble all the time. You know, daddy's mad at me. Daddy's going to discipline me. Daddy's going to do this to me. Da, 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 da. And I, I, we found out that in Sozo that that little lie that has stayed with someone from childhood all the way up into their adult life has actually hurt them in their, in their life as a believer. And there's a series of these things. We've all come from different backgrounds. We're, we've all heard various things in our lives that were told to us. And the enemy monopolizes on those things specifically to us in the area of lies. So that, so that if we hear the lie and we begin a believing lie, the lie attaches to us. And then instead of it becoming a, a matter of us believing in the promises of God, we actually start believing a lie. And then the fruit of the lie starts showing up in our lives. You understand what I'm saying? It's not God that causes this fruit to come. It's a lie that started it to come. 
And this is what's so important, why it's so important, why we go after this all the time, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, that faith is what grows power inside of us. Faith is what produces things inside of us to materialize into the natural world and bring about the evidence of heaven on earth. And it's all, ba it's all based on faith. By grace, you are saved through faith. It is not of your works, so no one can boast. So we have this whole thing that goes on inside of us, and just through a series of events and circumstances, there could be a time of vulnerability where a lie comes and begins to plant itself in us, and then we start believing the lie, and then we start losing what we've been given. And it's like, this is why it's so important for us to stay on top of this with our faith, that our faith has to be activated on a daily basis with the kingdom and with God. It's got to be turned up inside of us, because it's there in us. It's, it's alive in us. And what's so fun is that faith is, faith is something that begins when grace opens up our life. Grace starts us out in faith. We're all given a different measure. You know, I've heard this before. Well, you know, some people have different measures of faith. Some people can raise the dead because they've been given that measure of faith. No, that's not how, that's not how faith works. Let me tell you how faith works. Faith starts by grace, and we're all given a measure. But faith is like a monetary investment. That when you put money and invest money, there's interest that grows on that money so that the money gets bigger and develops and turns into more. You understand what I'm saying? Faith can be very progressive. We start with a different level. That we're some, it's, like, it's like Jesus in the parable he said about the talents. Someone gets given a talent, they go and they invest it, and it produces more money. He's giving that parable in a sense, to show what faith is like. We're all given a different level. Some one, some five, some ten. But how that level begins to grow is up to us to be able to stand on the promises of God and say we're going to reproduce this and we're going to, get, we're going to make more. Is that clear? All right. Boy, I feel like I'm really working this today. I need to relax. I need to go on vacation, I think. See, when an owner has the right kind of thinking, he's not worried about the thief. He's not focusing on the thief. He's not saying, I wonder what the thief's going to do to me today. I wonder if the thief's going to come and steal all my goods today. I wonder if the thief is around the next corner, ready to attack me. Owners don't think like that. Because they know what they own, and they know that because they own it, they're more powerful than a thief. And that's where we need to live in the realm of faith. Stop investing in what the devil can do to you and start investing in what Jesus did for you. Because what the devil can do for you is a can. It is not a must. And it is not a will. It's what you think might happen. I had to go through this years ago when I first started the ministry because we, we really went after the enemy. We went after the enemy in worship. We went after the enemy. You know, it was like, we need a good worship set to really go after the devil. I mean, we just got to, this guy, he's trying to interrupt our meetings. We need to go after him. We had intercessors posted on the walls and posted on the platform to fight the enemy who was trying to interrupt the worship. Yeah, it's funny to hear this stuff, but this is where we really were. We just believed that the devil was 
always trying to interrupt and always trying to steal and always trying to kill and always just trying to destroy. And as we as the faithful believers needed to stand guard and needed to protect so that he doesn't do that stuff. And it's like we are wasting all this energy and all this time in one of the most valuable and precious moments of our time, which is worship to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and the God who sets on high, who says, if you will lift me up, I will draw all men unto myself. And instead, we're focused on what the devil's doing and what he's trying to do. And when we finally woke up to this reality, it took some time for us to shift out of it. It was very tempting to still say, oh, there he is again. He's just showing up. We, we, I'm sorry, but I, I just I have to go after this today because I feel like I need to. For no other reason. I feel like there's an urging in my heart where the Holy Spirit is saying, go do this thing. It's going to help some people. So, I mean, we would have intercessors who were spiritual discerners. And they would discern who was carrying something good and who was carrying something bad. And if they were carrying anything bad, they got nailed. They got targeted. Oh, watch them. Someone bad come in, intercessor sneaks on over behind them. insanity what we can fall for and when we finally woke up to the reality that he's defeated the devil is defeated we finally woke up to the reality that Jesus Christ conquered him on the cross that he is no longer a threat to us as believers that we are more powerful than he will ever be and can ever be we finally woke up to that reality we begin, to, we begin to think less about him and more about God. Our focus shifted. We begin to see God start healing all the time. Before, we felt like the enemy was disrupting the healing. We shifted our focus, began to worship the Lord, just forget about whatever. You know, we'd tell our teams and our intercessory teams, and it took a while to convince them. But we would tell them, look, forget about that stuff. Jesus is more important than that is ever going to happen. It's just forget about it. Don't even look at it. Keep your eyes on things set above. Let Jesus be exalted and lifted up, and he'll draw all men. And the scripture just clearly says that he sits enthroned upon the praises of his people. So what are we doing wasting time on what the devil's saying, doing, whatever? It's like, don't bother. So we changed and shifted that whole thing. And let me tell you, it opened up something in me to really like, oh my God, Lord, you did this. Why have we been wasting these years? And we wasted years. Not that God's mad at us for wasting years, but we wasted years. It was like, you know, I mean, I'm, talking, I'm going back quite a few years ago. Anytime you'd get around a circle of believers and they'd start talking about the enemy and what the enemy's attacking, who he's attacking, doing all this kind of stuff. And then it would turn into these uh, paranormal circumstances and paranormal events that were happening that really did give evidence to the devil. He, whoa, he's really out there. Whoa, he's really going to get you. And these stories just grew and magnified. I mean, I remember, I remember sitting in this Bible study, and this is back in the early 80s, but sitting in a Bible study, and all of a sudden the Bible study went from a Bible study of what God can do and the miracles that God can do into how big the devil is and how destructive he is 
and how hurtful he can be. Like we were just gathered together in our prayer room and all of a sudden, Sally over there got slapped in the face and nobody was near her. That's the devil. Probably an angel trying to wake Sally up and say, (laughs) get out of this mindset. No, I don't know. Although I've heard some angels can be pretty pretty fun. See, the truth is, is that the enemy wants to put lie on us. He wants to lie fear into us so that we can forget who we are. And we can never forget who we are. No matter what the circumstances, no matter what the situation, we always have to be on top to just call it to our minds, no, I am a child of the king. I am a child of God. I walk by faith, not by sight. I understand that Jesus came to defeat the devil. The devil is defeated. He's no longer a threat to me. He's no longer a threat to my neighbors. He's no longer a threat. He's powerless. Some of you, I I hope you don't need to be convinced of that. But I'm telling you right now that there are a lot of believers that don't think this is them. But yet I've heard them talk. And they don't want to change. They don't want to shift. And we are in a day of holy shift. It was yours. You should like it. We are in a day where there is a holy shift that's taking place. And I'm telling you, the, the church, the church is beginning to wake up and beginning to see what they've been given and who they are. And I love seeing it. I, I love hearing the testimonies, the testimony we heard early, our, our healing teams that we have, where we have more people come from the community to our healing rooms than we have people from our own church coming to pray for healing. And they just hear about it. People get healed here, then they go out back into their, wherever they, they're in, their neighborhood or wherever, whatever community they're gathered to, and they say, you need to go there for prayer. Those people pray for you and you get healed. We have people showing up at Healing Words because we believe that we're bigger than any disease. We believe we're bigger than any sickness because Christ lives in us and he is the hope of glory. So this is what we own. And this is the abundant life that Jesus talked about. Because abundant life is an abundance of it. You and I do not lack in life. We have life abundantly. How do we know we have life abundantly? Because Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. How do we know we have life abundantly? Because Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. How do you really know you have abundant life? Because Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And that's the truth, and that's the promise that you continually wash your mind with. My life is one of abundance, not lack. We pray for the sick, the sick recover. Why? Because Jesus said, those who believe in me will lay their hands on the sick, and the sick will recover. Why do we pray for the sick and see the sick recover? Because we believe Jesus said, those 
who lay their hands on the sick, the sick will recover. Everything we have comes from him. It's a matter of what we're going to do and the ownership we're going to take of what he said. Are we going to own what he said or just believe it's for someone else, like someone who might have the gift of healing or someone who might have the gift of an evangelist or someone who might have a gift of knowledge or a gift of wisdom? Whatever the case might be, if you're sitting in any kind of a lack, you need to renew your mind into the attitude and into the heart of what Jesus said, I have come that you might have life, have it more abundantly. This carries over into all issues of life. You, th you think you lack something at your job? You don't lack anything at your job if you understand Jesus came to give you an abundant life. You lack finances? You don't lack in finances because Jesus said, I have come that you might have abundant life. Have it to the full. Oh, you don't know. I don't lack finances. I can't even pay my bills. What are you talking about? You see, that's where you just made the shift. That's when you went into an observation mode. You went into a mode of observation just then when you said that, when you thought that in your heart. You can't tell me I don't lack of finances. I do lack of, I need more money. I definitely need more money. So you went into an observation mode. Luke 17 says, now, when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, See here or see there. For indeed, the kingdom of God is within you. Jesus is speaking of a reality that cannot be seen in the natural. He's telling, they're saying, When will the kingdom come? And he's saying, It's already here. He's kicking them out of this observation where they're looking for some kind of a sign and they're looking for some kind of a thing to show that the kingdom is going to come. And he says, it's already here. And they're like going, I don't see the kingdom. The Romans are still coming after us. They're still in charge of us. They still reign over us. They still rule over us. I don't, there's no kingdom here of God. There's pagans in the street doing all sorts of wicked things. There's things out there in the marketplace we just walked by in order to get here. And there were orgies in the streets and there's various things that were going on. This is the, the society and the culture that they lived in for that day. It wasn't like you can go downtown Nashville and see all these nice restaurants and cafes. You'd go by prostitutes that are sitting outside their temples and all sorts of things that would be taking place right out in the street for the children to see and for the kids to see. A different culture, a different time, a different, a different frame. And Jesus is saying the kingdom of God is within you. And they're like going, well, where? I want to see it. And so he tells them it's not going to come by observation. Let me tell you about observation. <laughs> observation is a branch that grows from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. There are so many people that want to be able to see first before they believe. If I see it, then I'll believe it. And that simply is not faith. That's observation. And Jesus is saying, the kingdom does not come by observation. What is he saying? He's saying, faith does not come by your observing it. It comes by believing it. It comes by believing in something that isn't there, that, doesn't, that cannot be found, cannot be seen, and isn't even capable of being sought. It's not there. Faith brings what we hope for 
into a place of substance. Not observation. If you ever hear, I won't believe it until I see it, that's someone who's clearly not walking by faith, but they're wanting to see observation. And I, be very clear about there's nothing wrong with seeing things. That's not the point. We hear testimonies and we see miracles. There's nothing wrong with seeing those things. But you can't expect, you cannot expect that that to be your primary focus before you operate in healing. I can't count the times that I've prayed for someone who's sick, believing that they're going to get healed. And I've had to step out into the unknown because clearly they are not healed. And clearly they are sick. And clearly they need a miracle. And you have to step into what you don't have and you can't see. They're still sick. Even as you're praying for them, they're still sick. And you step into that realm, and if you're just based on what you're seeing in the observation of your prayer, and then you make that prayer, and you say, well, see, they didn't get healed. That's, that's what I expected anyway. That's what my story always is. I pray for the sick. They don't get better. In some cases, they get worse and die. The liar will come and infiltrate that whole realm of stuff that's inside of you to throw you into more confusion. Which is why we need to take ourselves and bring ourselves into what Jesus said. You will lay your hands on the sick and the sick will recover. And this is why we started teaching our teams to say, whenever you pray for the sick, you're giving them a gift of healing because Jesus said there's power in your hands. So when you, can I lay hands on yep. you? When you lay hands, I hope you're not sick, but if you are, maybe you'll get better after this. When you lay hands on the sick, your hands are giving someone else a gift that you've been given by Jesus, which is the power to lay your hands on the sick and the sick will recover. And so what we tell our teams is when you walk away, it doesn't matter what it looks like. You cannot invest in what things look like after you pray for them. You need to believe that that healing is sitting on them and that healing is doing work. And when we started getting that, we started hearing testimonies of people that went home and they woke up the next morning completely healed. Why? Because of faith. Because of what we believed. Because of what we were seeing. Because we were investing in the promises and the promises of God were coming alive in us and they were coming alive in others to release abundant life. Yeah? Look at your neighbor and say you're powerful. Faith connects us to the reality of the kingdom realm. It connects us to the reality of the mind of God. And once connected, we begin to live by heaven's reality. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Do you not know that you are the temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells in you? And what he's saying is that you are awesome. I'm going to look at the person next to you. They are awesome. Just tell them, you're awesome, man. Dude, you are awesome. Do you not know that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? Do you not know that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? I don't feel like a temple half the time. Yeah. You. <laughs> you and I. 
could be in the same boat. But it's where we need to go, and it's where we need to renew our mind. Not in observation. The kingdom doesn't come by observing what's going on inside of you and what's going on in someone else. The kingdom of God comes with believing what Jesus said, what Jesus did, and who he made us to be. Amen? Vacation time is just right around the corner, baby. Go get the car started. Thanks, Bob. You're rushing me now? You're rushing me off, aren't you? Hurry up and get this guy out of here. Now, here's, here's something that we can, we can easily observe. How many of you have ever felt, and I really want to show hands. I don't want, so there's some people that just, they just show hands no matter what you ask, but I really want. How many of you have ever felt like you've ever done anything wrong? Some of you are like, no, like you feel like you've done something wrong, right? Well, in feeling like you've done something wrong, does that make you wrong? Or does that just make the thing wrong? That's not our identity. Our identity doesn't come from us doing wrong things. Our identity comes in what he did for us. And what he did for us was the right thing. And the right thing is the right thing. And it will never be the wrong thing. Because the right thing is right. The wrong thing is wrong. And it stays in its own separate place. And isn't attached to our identity. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Therefore stand firm in your freedom. We've been set free. I love this because I used to walk around. I used to say, oh, I just fell into the flesh, man. I just got into the flesh. Lost my temper. I had a moment of flesh that hit me. Just did something wrong. It was my flesh. Doggone flesh. But I'll sure be glad when I get to heaven and the flesh is gone. I used to live according to my observation of my deeds. Romans chapter 8 says, But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. <laughs> kind of woke me up. Well, what have I been saying? I'm in the flesh. Did I have a momentary backsliding into the flesh? Backsliding? You backslidden, fleshly person, you. I'll tell you. No, I'm not going to do that. But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if the spirit of Christ dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin. But the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. And you catch the reality of that verse and you realize, man, I've been believing some stupidity, thinking that it's a momentary thing of the flesh. Jesus said, that which is born of the spirit is spirit, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. 
And the deal was, is when he died on the cross, we died our death of flesh with him. And the flesh no longer can take over our, our nature. The flesh no longer is our identity. The spirit is our identity. And if his spirit indeed dwells in you, then you are his and you belong to him. And because you belong to him, you walk by faith in what he's given. Thank you.